percentage of votes will be higher because the, the market, which is relevant, is bigger. And also we think there's a real chance to establish a modern, mature law on damages. Welcome to another episode of Mintz's Exclusive Rights IP Podcast. I'm Dan Wanger, a partner here at Mintz hosting today, and I am joined today by Thomas Gneidek, who is a partner at Simmons & Simmons in Munich, Germany. Thomas focuses his practice on patent litigation, trade secret litigation, general technology litigation, and uh, has also handled various SEP and FRAND issues. Thomas, thanks for uh, joining me today. How are you doing? Hi, Dan. Hi. Thanks for having me. Great being on your show. Looking forward. Sure. We're going to talk today about what I just sort of think as like a radical sea change in the way that worldwide patents will, will function with the implementation of the Unified Patent Court in across most of the European Union, not, not all of the European Union. And I'm, I'm excited today to, to try to get what an explanation of what is a very complex topic and sort of distill some of the uh, changes that are going to be put in place and and what can we we can expect from the UPC maybe going forward a little bit. So before we dive into some of that more complex stuff, could you just give us sort of like a background? I'm sure most people listening at least somewhat familiar with what currently happens in Europe as far as the European Patent Office, but could you give us like a quick digest of what the current structure is? Sure. The UPC, so the Unified Patent Court and the Unitary Patent, the UP, is a very exciting project uh, currently on. It will certainly shift the, the balance in, in global patent litigation. Just if you consider the market, that new court will cover about a market uh, consisting of 400 million people and 25 participating member states. So that's a, that's a huge market. And if you think about, well, being granted an injunction covering that entire market, that's huge. And also with respect to the damage award, that will certainly be a game changer in global patent litigation. What is the UPC? The UPC is a new court with a court of first instance and a court of appeals. And that new court will have exclusive competence to hear all kinds of patent cases relating to existing European patents, which have not been opted out. We will speak about this opt out later. So it will cover that these existing European patents and it will cover litigation with respect to the new category of patent, the unitary patent. That will be a patent covering the territory of all 24 participating member states. So what, what's the big, the big change here? Because the, uh, the, the currently in place structure has it, I think, that you can get a patent in a particular country applicable for a specific country, but you could also get a European-wide patent, an EP patent. But you still need to go to each individual country to enforce it. So we're looking at now a new patent, the UP, that will be enforceable across, as you said, the entirety of the countries that are participating in the European Union. So is that the big difference, like the, the one of the major differences that we're looking at as far as the change in patent litigation that now we can go to a centralized court instead of individual countries? 
Exactly, exactly. So nowadays you would apply for and, and be granted a European patent, but that European patent is just what we call a bundle patent. So it's a bundle of, of national parts. So you would go any national part you would like to have. Most patentees opt for about two, three or four countries they actually validate their European patent in. Now, unitary patent that would cover all 24 member states. And for litigating that patent, you only need to go to one uh, local division or to one central division. You don't have to litigate that patent in any single country where it's validated. Yeah, so you just mentioned the local divisions. So maybe you could uh, explain a little bit about what's the new structure we're looking at as far as the the UPC being implemented? Like, where am I going now? Before I'd consider filing a case in Munich or maybe a division in France or the Netherlands. So yeah, what, yeah. what are we looking at now? Sure. So from a German perspective, well, nothing will change, of course. You will still go to Munich, but now you're not going to the Munich District Court. You will now go to the local division of the UPC located in Munich. So yeah, the structure of the UPC is as follows. There is a court of first instance and there is a court of appeals. And above that, there is the European Court of Justice. The court of first instance consists of a central division and various local and regional divisions. For a patentee, first of all, the local divisions um, are relevant. These local divisions are competent to hear infringement cases and they are competent for well any infringement which occurred in the scope of that local division and they are competent to hear infringement cases if the place of resident of the defendant is in that local division in the range of that local division. So basically, this is the place to go if you would like to litigate an infringement case. That means if you have a European-wide infringement, you basically have a choice. You can go to a local division in Germany, you can go to a local division in the Netherlands, or in Italy, or in France. So it really depends upon you. Then we have that central division. Um, that central division is located in Paris, at least the main parts or the main sections of that uh, central divisions, engineering and automotive section of that central division will also be based in Munich. And there's currently a debate going on where the pharma section and the pharma and biotech section of that central division will be located, whether that will be in Amsterdam or in Milan or anywhere else, basically following Brexit and the UK no longer being part of that uh, UPC system. That central division will be competent to hear nullity actions and actions for, well, declaratory actions for non-infringement. Um, however, that central division will only be competent to hear such cases if no infringement action is already pending with a local division. So if you bring your infringement action with a local division, 
then that local division um, is also competent to hear the nullity part of that case. Could that be a, a race to the courthouse where the patentee wants to go to a local division and the accused infringer wants to go to the central division? It seems like they're setting it up that way. Is that is that accurate, yeah. you think? Yeah, kind of. During the transitional period, and I'm sure we'll speak about the transitional period later on, patentee will be able to opt out the EP and basically to avoid uh, the competence of the U uh, Unified Patent Court. And that basically means avoiding a central attack on the nullity of the patent broad with the um, central division. So that's what you avoid. So, so as a patentee, you, you might think about opting this patent out. But generally, and certainly with respect to, um, to a unitary patent, there, there is certainly a race. An implementer, uh, a possible defendant, might want to try to be the first to start a nullity action with that central division in Paris, for example, for telecom patents. And a patentee might want to be the first starting an infringement action with a possibly plaintiff-friendly local division in Germany or in the Netherlands, yes. So Thomas, you just talked about infringement actions in a local or regional division and nullity actions in a central in a centralized division. How does that play out after the uh, patent owner has already filed in Munich against the legend infringer? What are we gonna see happen next? Yeah, so once the patentee started an infringement action before the local division um, in Munich, it's basically clear that the defendant will start a counterclaim for revocation also with that local division because that's what he needs to do. Uh, once an infringement action has been started before a local division, the defendant can no longer start a nullity action with the central division. So he has to file a counterclaim with the local division. Then the local division has the choice. The local division can proceed with both cases. So the, the local division can hear the infringement case and also can hear the nullity case and decide both cases. What the local division can also do is refer the nullity part to the central division and in parallel either stay the infringement case or just proceed with the infringement case. That's basically the setup you currently have in Germany, a bifurcated setup. The local division would hear the infringement case and the nullity case uh, case would be heard by another court or division. Actually, practitioners um, expect that the local divisions will take uh, this competence on and will just hear both cases. That's a likely scenario. What the local division also can do is, if both parties agree, refer the entire case, so the infringement case and the nullity case, to the central division in Paris. But Honestly, as a plaintiff, as a patentee, I, I wouldn't agree. So I think that's a, just a theoretic case. That'll be dead in the water yeah. <laughs> as it is. And so over those regional and central divisions, you're going to have a, a European-wide appellate court. And then I guess the Supreme Patent Court will be the European Court of Justice, the CJEU. Is that, is that what we're looking at now? Uh, kind of, yes. So above that court of first instance, there's the Court of Appeals. This court will hear real appeal cases. So 
based appeals based on facts and also appeals based on the law. So it's a real uh, court of appeals. Above that, kind of, there is the European Court of Justice. But this European Court of Justice will only hear issues relating to European Union law. That may be patent law. So, for example, the, the European Enforcement Directive on, on certain aspects of enforcement of patents, uh, that will be something uh, heard by the European Court of Justice. Or, uh, for example, antitrust law issues. So, so issues relating to standard essential patents and the friend antitrust defense. That is something this court will be competent for. But yeah, not, that's a, not the entire case. It will not be a super court of appeals. So the, we're looking at the, for real questions of patent law, we're looking at the court of appeals as the final, as the that's, final uh, a court. That's going to yeah. give you a final answer. But what something you just said was a great segue into one, something that's really interesting to me about way, the way this is going to work is, it's like very rarely do we get to see a new court just start up from scratch and created sort of out of whole cloth, unifying a whole bunch of countries like this. So are we going to see, like, what's the jurisprudence going to be that they're starting with? They got, they're going to have to look to something. It's probably not going to be U.S. law for patent law. They're going to be sort of creating law as they go. Are they going to base it off of like sophisticated German law? Because German courts are really sophisticated in patent law. Are they going to, what are they going to do something else? How do we see that going? Yeah, yeah. That's a very, very relevant question. So we need um, some sort of predictability in what's going to happen, right? Yeah, sure. There are basically two agreements which, which well, are the legal basis of this court. So um, it's the UPC agreement and uh, the UPC rules of procedure. So there are two agreements and, and basically they outline what the court should do and should not do. Um, so these two are sources of law. Um, in addition to that, we have European Union law. But as you already indicated, European Union law doesn't provide a lot of guidance on, on patent law as such. And then an accepted source of law is existing national law. So German national law will be a source of law for this new court. So what practitioners actually expect is, at least at the beginning, before the UPC has established its own case law, uh, we expect that the respective local divisions will refer to their own national law they are used to. So I guess at the beginning, what is the beginning? First five years, I don't know. But within the first five years, I guess that a Dutch local division would refer to the Dutch patent law they know, whereas the German local division would refer to the German law uh, they know. So. I guess what you can expect as a patentee is that at least at the beginning, the Munich local division will be as plaintiff friendly as the Munich district court currently. That is because the source of laws are, are the same. And this is because also the judges uh, will be the same. So we expect a, a few judges of the Munich district court will become judges of the local division in Munich. So it, it sounds to me what we're looking at is a is maybe a couple of years of potentially if anybody utilizes a regional court in in say Poland or Spain 
well, I guess Spain's not in it, but France or Italy or, or Germany, we might see different outcomes at the regional level. But eventually the Court of Appeals is going to synthesize this and come out with decisions that will control and make it try to make it consistent across the opted in countries of the European Union, which could be a very efficient benefit to the whole, which is, you know, obviously seems like one of the big reasons to do it so that we don't have to go to different courts to enforce and we get a consistent body of law over a what what is a really, really important economy when all of the European countries are, are you know, put put together. Yeah, certainly. That's absolutely true. I think uh, after a few years, we shall see consistent case law provided by the Court of Appeals. And, and, and that's, of course, one of the objects of, of that new court is to have, well, the same patent law in, in all the participating member states. Yeah. So what do you see as the key features of the UPC going forward and, and really as a practitioner? And as I try to advise clients with European patents, and why they should care about this and potentially utilize the UPC even during the transitional, the seven-year transitional period. I'm the clear benefit that I see, which will not be rocket science, is that if I can get an injunction, I can get it European-wide as opposed to just in Germany. You know, obviously Germany's economy is hugely important. I think it's the biggest economy in Europe, most people in Europe, even over England. But the power of getting an injunction across the entirety of, of the or most of the EU seems like a pretty powerful justification for coming in. So what do you think? Is that, is that the That's key feature it. we're talking yeah. about or is there more yeah. to it than that? No. Well, it's, it's the injunction. Clearly it's the injunction. So the market will, will consist of 400 million people, 24 countries with one set of, well, with one patent proceedings, you can win an injunction covering that market. That is massive. Um, also, um, I think in addition to that, especially if you compare it with the current German patent law system, currently in Germany, damage awards are not really important. Our law as to damages is, is not really mature. The damage awards you can win in Germany are absolutely not relevant. You come to Germany for the, for the injunction you can win. Um, that injunction will be much more important in the future. However, also, we expect that the damage awards uh, will become um, much more important. So the damage awards will be higher because the, the market, which is relevant, is bigger. And also we think there's a real chance to establish a modern, mature law on damages. That's interesting. So you see with the creation of the UPC, a forthcoming maturity in damages such that maybe if the teeth of the injunction Hopefully the teeth of the injunction is still there, but it's going to be coupled with a damages, ability to collect damages across the European Union that will be, you think it'll be more similar to what we're seeing in the US or, or something else? I'm not sure uh, whether it will be in the end comparable with the US, but, but certainly we will see much higher uh, damage awards in the future. Certainly that is for sure. And, in, and also in that respect, patent litigation in Europe will become more attractive. So when does all this get going? When, when does the UPC get started? So currently we are in the so-called provisional application phase and then the so-called sunrise period will start. The sunrise period is also a very important period because um, in the sunrise period, um, patentees will be allowed to opt out their existing European patents if they want to opt out. Um, after the sunrise period, the court 
basically starts and you can file infringement actions. Um, many commentators currently say the court will start end of this year. So end of 2022. We actually do think it's, it's more February, March uh, next year. The reason we, th we think that is because, well, our retired partner, Kevin Mooney, he's a very prominent figure in setting up this court. So we basically have kind of exclusive, <laughs> uh, exclusive source of information here. And if he says he thinks it's March next year, then we would say it's March next year. <laughs> Either way, it's coming down the pipe pretty quick. And then um, the way I understand it is that seven-year transition where you can opt out. And then after seven years, maybe they could have a seven-year extension. But Let's assume the seven-year extension doesn't happen. If we're looking at 2030, everybody in Europe is going to be utilizing UPs instead of EPs for the uh, unitary patent court going forward. That's true. I think what is what is also important if you uh, look at well non-opted-out European patents during the transitional period and real unitary patents. That is the scope of the injunction. So. So, so currently many people think, okay, if I, if I litigate an existing European patent before the UPC, I will get that injunction uh, covering all 24 member states. That is not true. Um, so if you litigate an existing European patent, which you validated in just a few member states, the scope of that injunction will be limited to these member states where the European patent is actually in force. So that's what you need to know. Not before you're actually granted a unitary, uh, you will be able to well, win that big injunction covering all 24 member states. Maybe you have validated your European patent in all 24 member states, then you're lucky. Uh, then, then you basically win it from the start, but otherwise uh, you need a unitary patent. Yeah, you're not getting free jurisdictional coverage that you had already foregone just because of the creation of the UPC. Exactly. You'd still, if you're going to use your EP, it's only going to apply in countries that you already validated it in. That, exactly. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. One of the questions that I had when I first realized that this was going to happen was, well, my strategic partners in Europe and my clients who already have European counsel how, what's the effect of, of that? And because the, the critical question there is there's a choice of language that you could have, I think, in, in various courts. So how, how is that going to affect utilization of counsel and, and going forward in the UPC? So I, I would assume that that your clients, um, they're, I guess, in the, in the telecom or tech space or, or also in the pharma space. So what you see is or what they will see is a European-wide infringement. And if there's a European-wide infringement, they have a choice. They can basically bring their infringement case with any local division. If they like a French council best, they can bring uh, their case uh, with the local division in Paris. If they like the Dutch council, they, they can bring it in Amsterdam. And if they like their German council best, uh, they can bring it in Munich or in Dusseldorf or in Mannheim and in Hamburg. Of course, what they also can do is, if they like their Italian council best, they can uh, instruct their Italian council and send him to Munich, for example, or send him to Paris. An Italian council is actually is competent and admitted to plead such a case before any local division. 
Um, so, so basically the, the, the choices or, well, the options for clients are better than before. I think what drives the choice of the forum will be the, the national law you would like to pick. Uh, so we, we discussed earlier that at least at the beginning, uh, when we don't see any consistent, well, case law established by the, the Court of Appeals uh, of the UPC, the existing national law will play a major role. So still, if you, if you would like to see a plaintiff-friendly approach, I guess you're, you're most likely to, well, go to a German court, possibly a Dutch court. Now as to language, um, the local divisions, first of all, will hear cases in their national language. So um, if you go to, to France, it's French. If you go to Germany, it's German. If you go to Netherlands, it's Dutch. However, most of the local divisions um, have already communicated their willingness to also hear cases in English. So that's at least true uh, for the Munich local division. So you can go there um, with your Dutch council, possibly plead your case in English before the Munich local division. Um, is that something you should do if you would like to have the favorable German national case law currently in place? Possibly not. So what we learned is that, oh, one step back. There, before a at a local division, three judges uh, will be on the panel. So two judges from Germany and one foreign judge. In practice, the, the, the two German judges will be from the former or the then well, still existing Munich District Court. Um, these judges know the German case law. Um, what follows from the rules is that if you pick German as a language, you will get one of these two German judges as the reporting judge. The reporting judge is basically the judge writing the preliminary opinion of the panel, basically deciding the case together with the presiding judge. So if you would like to have the German case law, then you would pick German as a language, as a plaintiff, and then you become get the German judge as the reporting judge. If you pick English, you might, might get, or you will get the third judge who is possibly from Italy or Slovenia. Um, so still there's, a, I think there will be a, still a tendency to, to, to pick German as a language before a German court, even though having the possibility to, to proceed in English. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to, to litigate in the language of the local area that you're, that you're uh, located in, just for a lot of practical reasons. And the point about utilizing German law, at least in the early stages where that's the most plaintiff friendly, you get to pick, these are huge advantages that you have as the party selecting a forum. It seems like kind of a no brainer to utilize those advantages to your favor while you can. And then obviously as down the road, when the law develops and the UPC develops, we'll, we'll have to reassess what those, what those advantages are. But right now that, that seems like an easy decision to make to me. Yeah, 
I would think so. When you think about English as the language of the proceedings, I think you should not or consider the, the English which is spoken before a U.S. district court. I think you should more uh, look at the current proceedings before the European Patent Office. So the, the English used there is more a kind of a, well, how you say it, a global <laughs> English. And so many non-native speakers use the English there to describe technical issues, well, make very basic arguments. And I think we will see that kind of pleading before the UPC. It will not be that very sophisticated barrister Queen's English we will see. <laughs> well, that's good. Not sure whether that's a disadvantage, you know. It's <laughs> We'll have to see. I mean, there's so much unclear about the way this is actually going to go that this is one of those things where we'll just have to see how it shakes out. All right, Thomas, that was really informative primer on, on the UPC. There's a lot more to talk about. I mean, there's so much strategy questions and, and how we're going to utilize the UPC and, and what some of the more like low-level intricacies are. I'm, I'm hoping that we get a chance to talk again soon to do a part two to get into some of those details and uh, figure out some strategy questions going forward as, as the UPC gets going in, I guess, about a year. So thanks for your time. Great. Thanks, Dan. It was, was a pleasure speaking, speaking with you and really looking forward to the next session. All right. Mm -hmm.